Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast. If you are a new listener, then welcome to the Sendcast. The aim of this podcast is really simple. We want to reach lots of people and help everyone learn all about special educational needs and disability. In this episode, we're discussing exercise, play and sensory integration for disabled children. And I'm discussing this with my guest, Stephanie Ween, the founder and CEO of Chimpanzees. Stephanie is a specialized pediatric physiotherapist with over 20 years of experience. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We help schools to show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make. We help schools show progress for a wide range of abilities and ages. If you're a primary school struggling to show progress or struggling to identify where people isn't making progress, then we can help. And did you know you can use B-squared assessment software for more than just pupils with SEND? You can now assess all pupils in one system at appropriate levels of detail, saving you time and money and simplifying the whole assessment process. Visit the B-squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with us so we can take you through our assessment software. Let's get on with the podcast. On this week's show, we're discussing exercise, play and sensory integration for disabled children. My guest this week is Stephanie Ween, the founder and CEO of Chimpanzees. Stephanie is a specialised paediatric physiotherapist with over 20 years of experience. And Stephanie started Chimpanzees in 2016 due to the lack of opportunities for her physio clients to exercise in the community. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thanks so much. Great to be here. You are welcome. We all know the benefits of exercise, but as we look at the world around us, the opportunities for people with disabilities to exercise is extremely limited, isn't it? Yeah, and it's crazy because these are the children who need exercise more than anyone. But, you know, there's so many things out there for children. They just don't work for disabled children. And it's not just children with physical disabilities. It's children with all disabilities, but for very different reasons. And it is just a crazy state of affairs at the moment. My nephew was a, became a school refuser. Oh, yeah. And he kind of didn't really leave the house for a while. Yep. And he started getting back into going out. Yep. Problem is he then couldn't do it because he hasn't really walked much for two years. So he then had to build up his leg muscles again yep. so he could actually go out. Yeah, gosh, yeah. So it's, I suppose it's things like that we just don't think about that happen. Yeah, and it, like... So it can be the physical, so the access side of it. You know, if, take going to a soft play, for example. If you are a bit weaker or if, you are, if your legs are a bit tighter, then it's just harder. And if they have regular sized steps, for example, for children to climb on, then that suddenly becomes too difficult. And then if you've got a parent who wants to help their child around soft play, most soft plays are about a metre and a bit tall. So you've got a, a parent bending over in half trying to help their child through the soft play, which is you know, fine for about 10 minutes before everyone's exhausted. So it's like you think, well, how can it be wrong? It's soft. It's squidgy. This, this should work. But it just doesn't. And that's, that's for kids with physical difficulties. If you think of children with things like autism or ADHD or you know, so many of our mobile disabled children will have sensory issues. And a soft play is just, I don't know if you've been yourself, but it is noisy and busy and loads of colours and just hectic. And if you've got sensory issues, that is an absolute living nightmare. So, so you think, yeah, of course they could do this or they could do that or, you know, it just needs a little bit of access or a disabled loo or something. But actually, it's much, much more than that. It is. As a six foot three parent <laughs> who isn't the skinniest either. <laughs> I have managed to get around most of the play areas I've been to, <laughs> but it was a challenge. But I, not just manic, is you're mixing with lots of children who are, I would say, unregulated yeah. in that moment. Yeah. And they're pushing past you. And if your child is a bit unsure, they're trying something for the first time and yeah. someone is just pushing past them, it just knocks all their confidence. It's not a great place to be if you're not confident. Yeah, and, and you can take that to the playground or the swimming pool or climbing walls or just so many amazing places that are out there, trampoline parks, etc. They're they're all just you know brilliant facilities if you can 
you know, modulate your sensory system, if you can block out noise, if you're all right with people running past you, or if you can climb onto the equipment physically. Yeah, there are just so many barriers to doing exercise. And it's, it's play. So we think of kids going to all these places and it's play and fun, but actually that's where they're getting their exercise. That's where they're getting their movement and getting stronger and balance and coordination and all that stuff. So if you're not able to get out and about and do these things, you're not exercising. And, and as you say, all the benefits of exercise, we know well, but for these children, exercise is how they're going to develop their skills and become more independent. So we're blocking a massive opportunity for children to you know, develop as they should be. So I think every, everyone who has been a parent for the last, in the last 15 years, we all know what soft plays are. Yeah. yeah, we all have been around them. We've always maybe pushed our child down a slide they weren't quite ready for. Yeah. And, <laughs> or we've just had lots of fun ourselves on a certain thing with your child watching you embarrassed. We've all done those things. Yeah. But they are so noisy. And I've, I've, I've walked away with a number of headaches yes. or injuries. Yeah. There's an amazing place in Dartmoor, which is a place called Woodlands, which is, I think, Europe's biggest indoor play area. Yeah. Wow. That's epic. Yep. That is phenomenal. And I did one of those vertical drop death slides. Uh, type amazing. Thing. Yep. Yeah. I got burned up my oh, back. No. <laughs> went, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. <laughs> they, are, they are great. Yeah. If you can access them. Exactly. Exactly. And this is what drives me absolutely crazy because there are, you know, a lot of places do a session for children with extra needs but for example a trampoline park may put on a specialist session and generally it's off-peak I'm sure parents have come across this as an off-peak time Sunday between five and six when you really don't want to be out and about so that's the first thing but then you're also mixing all the different needs so I've got one of my physio clients who has a tracheostomy so breathes through a hole in his neck and he's when he was about three he was still very liftable so his mum was like, he loves trampolining. We'll take him to trampoline park. I can still lift him onto a trampoline. He'll absolutely love it. But he has suction. So they put something down his hole in his neck to suck out the mucus in his chest. And he needs that every 20 minutes or so because he can't cough for himself. So as soon as she turned that on, all the children with sensory difficulties freaked out, couldn't take it. Fair enough. They, you know, it's a, it's a sudden noise. And she was asked to leave. So, you know, lovely sensory session, special need session, special extra need session, but even that didn't work. And this is the problem is that, is that parents are trying something and it doesn't work. And then they try something else and it doesn't work. And they're trying things where people say it's inclusive and it's not working. And they just stop trusting that things are going to work. And then there are some amazing things out there and amazing charities doing amazing things. But they're, you know, once the trust is broken, it's really difficult to, make that especially if you've got a child who who finds change difficult you have talked about this thing you're doing you've shown them videos you've talked through the process etc you've prepared them for however long before and then they turn up and it doesn't work and that child's going to take a while to recover from that yes so it, it kind of just makes the problem worse and worse and then the children aren't getting the opportunities for play and exercise and socializing and the things that help children with their development and it is, it is, I think it's, there is that thing of there's the session for everyone and then there's our inclusive session. And, and yes, sometimes the children can all get on together and they work well, but sometimes what one child needs is the opposite of what the next child needs. Absolutely. And that cannot coexist. Exactly. exactly. And also, as you said, it's at a set time, off peak. Because, and the thing is, is a business... If they can only be three children or a hundred children yeah. in peak time, they're going to go for the hundred. Of course, it's completely understandable. And actually, is. the changes you need to make to make it right for all disabled children are massive. This is what we found in our design. It's you know you have to think about so many different things to make it work. So it's, it doesn't surprise me that it's not working. It's just heartbreaking. It is. I, I'm literally, I can imagine when I was in secondary school, I think the Mega Drive, the Sega Mega Drive had just came out. <laughs> and I remember like a double-decker bus coming to school and parking up after school. It might have even been lunchtime. 
with a load of Mega Drives and you could go in and play. And in my head, I can imagine something like that working for this because it's quite small. Yep. It could be individual, but it could be mobile. Yep. That actually it could be accessed anywhere. And it might be end up you go to, it gets parked in a Tesco car park yep. and you book a slot. Yep. But it's not a whole building. It's as much, in my head, something like that could work. Yeah, for some children, it'd be absolutely perfect. But for children who need a changing place, you know, who have real access difficulties, who are in a reclining wheelchair because they can't be straight up, like how would they fit in it? So I like the solutions. And this is the thing you would say, this is lovely and inclusive, but for those people, it wouldn't be inclusive. So there are, you know, there are, and this is where the problem is, is that there are great things that are happening which work really well for some autistic people or work really well for some children who are wheelchair users but it is it's it's highly complex and yeah the, the the solution that is equal to a mainstream child's experience just is really difficult to find it is and that's you know these are the children who need it more than anyone else I suppose when you think, when you think of physio, and I've seen various films where they talk about this person in a wheelchair, lot, needs lots of physio yeah. on their legs. If they can't move, they need to keep the blood flowing and things like that. Yeah. So it's not like a it's nice to go for a run or it's yeah. nice for this. Yeah, it's needed. It's essential. So the problem is, it's essential, but therapy is hard work. It's, you know, can be boring if you're doing it every day. It's an extra chore if you think of. You know, if we go to see a physio and they tell us to do our exercises, I don't know about you, but I'm, you know, I've not done them regularly. Something else is more of a priority than doing my half an hour of exercise in the morning. It is, you know, it's difficult to do it. And then you're asking children to do it when children should be playing. They shouldn't be having to do a particular stretch or a particular exercise. So we need it to be part of play to be. You know, to be enjoyable and to be to, to get done. So if you think of so for example, children with cerebral palsy, so they it's damage to the brain, generally around birth or up to two or three years old, and it causes physical like your the, the brain is telling the muscles the wrong information. So the muscles aren't moving as they should, and this causes muscles to be tight and weak. So as children are growing, you're muscles basically grow in response to stretch so as you stretch a muscle apart new bits of muscle come in and fill in the gap okay whereas bone just grows it's just like building blocks they just keep growing so your bones are going to keep growing but your muscles are only growing if you stretch so if you're not stretching if you're not using your muscles and your bones are growing the bones are growing further apart from each other but the muscle stays the same length so you get these contractions, you get your muscles, your, your joints that are getting tighter and tighter. And so if, if children aren't getting the opportunities to stretch in their everyday life, they're going to get tighter and tighter and stop being able to use their limbs the same way. And what this causes in the long term, I think about 80% of children by the time they turn about 21 are starting to get chronic pain. And chronic pain where they could have, where they were potentially a walker or they were using their hands quite well, etc the pain can stop them doing that so much. So if we're not getting this exercise in early, if we're not getting stretching, then, then we're causing these contractions, which cause the pain. And the other side of that is the strength. So when you, so any of us, like all of us start getting arthritis from the age of about 25, because our joints are basically being overused and they're kind of rubbing against each other and they cause a bit of wear and tear and that's arthritis. So for our children, because their joints are in slightly different positions, that wear and tear gets more and more. And so they start, this is another cause of the pain as they get older, is they're getting this arthritis early. Now, if you can strengthen the muscles around the joint, then actually when you're doing the movement, the joints are pulled apart and you're not getting that wear and tear. So if you're stretching and strengthening, this is part of what physio is all about, stretching and strengthening, then you can pre prevent that pain coming when you're older. But stretching and strengthening is really boring. I mean, I, I had a I had a meniscus tear on my right knee, which is for those who don't know, it's between the joint. It's like a bit of material. Don't ask what it is, which got damaged. Apparently, it's a young person's injury, so I was quite <laughs> happy with that. And then the consultant went, "This must have happened a long time ago," which then completely deflated me. 
But my physio was telling me that they did loads of research into arthritis and they looked at like marathon runners and and knees. And actually the marathon runners, because their muscles are strong, it's those muscles which absorb the impact, which meant the arthritis wasn't developing. And I suppose where children have this very limited movement, what's actually happening is is the wear is very probably uneven. It's only wearing in a very – and it's probably wearing quite quickly in that bit. And once it becomes uneven – that creates even more problems. Yeah, exactly. And you're trying to a, wait there. You could be a physio. <laughs> Amazing knowledge. I just don't do the exercise. <laughs> well, neither do I. And that's that's normal. Like it's it's so hard to be really strict on these things. And you know, there are amazing parents that that are really dedicated in in and understanding that all this is so important. But it's exhausting. And actually, if they could do so for you know, for for something like soft play, because it's soft. Every time you're, even if you're on your hands and knees, you're having to balance because it's wobbly. So the small muscles around your joints are working really hard and your core is working really hard. And that just being in soft play is beneficial for these children. They don't know they're exercising. They don't know they're working their core. They're just having fun. But yep. soft play is inaccessible for so many. And so much of, of kind of the exercise that is out there for other children actually is doing all this great stuff that our kids just aren't able to access. No. And I was thinking it is, I was literally going, if you're literally on that Sunday evening, you, you've got to support your child, do this exercise and you don't want, you don't really want to do it because you've got lots of things like, and your child really doesn't want to do it. Yeah. It's going to be a struggle and then that will put you off next time. That's just snowballs. I would expect. Absolutely. And you do, like paediatric physio, the point of of paediatric physio is to do it with play. So rather than getting someone to do 10 squats, you'd get them to pick up a ball from the floor and shoot a hoop, for example. So they're going up and down, up and down. They don't know that it's squats. They think that they're playing ball. So so physio can be absolutely brilliant if, if it can be brought in with play. But how brilliant would it be if that could happen with the whole family on an excursion, where you're not having to work these things out or make it part of your routine. Definitely. So what what are the options at home which doesn't involve building your own soft play? So if we're just talking balance, I suppose, you would do things like putting cushions all over the floor and they could do the same kind of thing with that. Or, you know, there are fun things like wobble boards or move and sit cushions that are kind of cushions full of air that you can play ball games. They can stand on that and they can play ball games anything where they're on their feet, basically, or you could be have them on their hands and knees, or you could have, you know, if they can't be on their hands and knees, maybe that lying on their side is enough for them getting some balance. But totally, totally depends on the child. So there is stuff you can do at home, and there are, you know, with a bit of an imagination, a bit of understanding about what you're trying to achieve, then you can do stuff. There is definitely stuff you can do at home. I have a niece who I think does cheerleading or something, but they've got a I don't know what it's technically called, but I'm going to call it an inflatable runway. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know what... yeah, my niece has got one as well. She does her gymnastics on it. It's brilliant. So that is like a, rather than having your own crash mat, yes. it's not the thick one. It's not the thin one. It's somewhere in between. And it, you blow it up, don't you? Yes. It's just full of air. Yeah. But I suppose that outside in the garden. I mean, garden, full stop, grass, gravel, sand, all these things are challenging your balance. It just depends what level you're at. So a child with Down syndrome who has a bit of wobbly walking, they probably need to work those those small little balance muscles really hard. And so for them, rather than walking on the pavement, it would be better if they're walking up and down slopes or going to a woodland and stepping over things and having to kind of really work on their balance like that rather than, you know, doing standing on one leg at home. Yeah. It may be kind of more fun, but it's so specific. Every child is so specific. This is why physio is important because the, the therapist assesses where the child is and will say what the next step is because none of us learn if we're failing you learn because you're doing something well so you you need to be challenged enough that you're improving your skills but if you're challenged too far you'll give up and so kind of working that out that's quite a kind of delicate balance to work out what's challenging enough but not too challenging so that's that's but children generally choose stuff that they enjoy which is great we all generally choose things we enjoy and they choose things that are generally well 
we haven't even talked about the sensory side, have we? No, no, <laughs> no not even got there yet. Let's do, let's do stay, stay on physical for a bit longer. So let's say you go to a, a play park. If your child is almost ready to be able to do the monkey bars, then they may give it a go. If they're no way in any shape, way, shape or form going to be able to hold themselves, they probably just wouldn't even try it because it's not your natural thing to do. So putting someone in a situation where they can try it for themselves with lots of different options of different levels of difficulty, etc., a child can just do it themselves. So say that you go to a, a woodland for a walk, you know, if a child can't step over something, they'd probably go around it. Whereas if they're feeling a bit more confident, they would start stepping over something and then they would start standing on it and jumping off it, for example. Um, and that, that's what great my kids did, like the whole gym tots or gym oh, yeah. babes, wherever it is. Yeah, and it was, is you're at home with your stuff, you go in here and I was like, I want to have a go. <laughs> totally. They've got things to jump yeah. on, they've got the balancing. And, and it is, is, they go into things and basically it is that they're stepping over, they're balancing, they're doing all this stuff which yes. is really helping develop their balance exactly. and all those littler muscles that help go into those bigger things. And it's great. Yeah, it's just having the opportunity to try these things. This is, you know, this way variety and options are really good. If you think about playing football, you're standing on one leg and then moving your other leg, you're having to use a huge amount of balance just to kick a ball. You know, so it, it, it feels like fun. A kid would go, oh, I want to play football, it's fun. But actually you're working really hard. But we have, so for example, our, you know, many of our autistic kids, and it's, it's unknown really what comes first, but because of social difficulties or finding it difficult to understand instructions or to follow instructions or to be in a team or to, to, to follow rules, etc., they may not want to do the sport or they're, so, that, so they don't necessarily develop those skills. So about 80% of autistic people have poor coordination, but, but is it because they haven't haven't enjoyed being in a kind of an exercise situation and so they haven't developed their coordination or is it because they have poor coordination because of the autism and that means that they don't want to do the sport so we need to find things that they really enjoy to make exercise a lifelong habit and make it not oh my god I hate sport I hate I don't want to be I don't want to do any activity because I tried it at school and it was horrible I didn't like you know the situation etc so we need to find the right thing that really works for them, that feels great for them, so that it becomes a lifelong habit, they improve their coordination, et cetera, et cetera. I think we all have flashbacks to a PE lesson which went really badly. But I, 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 I would probably say, without doing any research, I'm just going to stick it out there, yeah. that it's probably that thing of they've been in a situation, it's failed. The so, it's not only does mm. it fail, it failed in front of others. So that social impact, and you just sit there, and it is that, yeah. Not trying new totally. things starts to happen and not sharing. Yeah. So you end up closing down more and then everyone else goes off and you're not developing those skills because of that. So I, I personally would say that's probably yeah. very realistic. And I remember years ago being told, it was an NFR, NFER research that in the 80s, the reports we wrote in England said your child is great at English, they're rubbish at maths, <laughs> keep going for English because that's their strengths. Whereas in France, they did the complete opposite of your child's great at English. So forget yeah, about that. You yeah, need to work on what they're rubbish at. So in this country, we, we, we grew up thinking yeah. you're either good at English or maths. Whereas in France, that's when you need to focus so on. So interesting. And it's that, yeah. again, it's basically that sort of thing. It's, it's not what we actually, we, we believe what we were told. You could be good at English or you can be good at maths. You can't be both. And my daughter is good <laughs> at both, which I'm going, I was lied to. I was lied to. But... I do, I do think that, yeah, if you're not given those opportunities, then you will not grow in the area. Exactly. It's not saying you can't, but you'll probably tell me in a whole physio research-driven way, which is real and other my made-up stuff, that you probably have to hit certain things by certain points for that to be built in and your muscles grow. Oh, no? you know what? There is a kind of... Is that another lie yes, I was the told? the development happens at totally different stages, different paces. There's kind of a, a, a theory that, you haven't sat by two years old then you probably aren't going to walk and actually I've seen cases where that's not the case at all there's also a kind of thought that you do most of your developing when you're younger and that it's really hard to learn new skills as you get older and again so I've got a 19 year old client who's just started walking on he's just started walking with sticks and he's just started taking steps which means he's 
been able to go to his uncle's house that has six steps to get down to the house for the first time at 19. And he, you know, that, that he's an incredible young man. He goes to the gym. He's a, a full-time wheelchair user, but he goes to the gym. He plays tennis, inclusive tennis. He comes to physio. Like he's a, a driven young man and exercise has always been really important to him. And so he's kept strong. He does do his exercise, <laughs> but he also, he loves doing it in a way Makes that's a difference. fun, like going to the gym with his mates for him is really important. And tennis, he loves his tennis, which is obviously working his core, it's working his arms, etc. So it's an example of, it's never too late. That, I mean, there are things, you know, you can't say someone whose legs are really weak and tight is necessarily going to walk but they will be able to improve from where they are. So, so the important thing yes. is working out what do we want. So it could be for many children that actually walking is not going to be their priority because it's exhausting if your legs aren't working particularly brilliantly. And if they're really mobile in their wheelchair, then their wheelchair is a much better place for them to be. But it could be that it's really important for their hands to work well. So rather than spending hours trying to work their legs to take three steps, which actually means nothing to them. It's really important that they have lots of exercises with their hands or with their arms to get that strong so that they can write, type, you know, play, feed themselves, etc. So finding finding the kind of the, the the area that you want to develop for your independence. It's for quality of life and independence. It's not a tick thing of I need my child to do this, that and whatever. It's so that they have that independence. I was doing recording something with Michael Surf from Nathan yesterday, and he said the it's what is important to, which is going to come from them, but what's important for. So that they're using your hands, you know whether he they're interested in it or not. You know from your professional experience that that is a really important thing that they're going to need for the rest of their life. Yep. So that is what we yep. need to do, and that's quite an interesting. That's what they want, and from your professional experience and all of life, actually they're going to need these. And yes. For them, taking three yep. steps might be momentous and lovely, and but actually, if that means we're not going to support their hands much and they're going to have less dexterity in their hands and strength, that is a much bigger lifelong limitation. Yeah, so this this 19-year-old came to me when he was 14, and his aim was to maintain his sit-to-stand, which is really important for transfers, getting in and out of his wheelchair, etc., and he wants his core to stay good so that his back stayed straight. He's very, you know, very, he knows himself. He knows all that really well. And it was only when we tur- he turned 18, he was going to university, that we, we, we kind of rediscussed it and said, actually, you know, if you can't get into the pub because your wheelchair can't go up a step, wouldn't it be useful to be able to take 10 steps and to be able to go up one or two steps? And And that became actually something that we could work on and that he has achieved and is really useful for his life going on. And and to help him achieve that, did you just have a bottle of vodka at the end of the room? <laughs> You've got it, absolutely. That's how we do our video, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. If you if you can't walk, you're not you're not gonna get alcohol. I'm walking. But I was thinking as you're listening is there is a there's a certain thing is is as a child, you never know why you're doing anything, all the importance yeah. of it, all the relevance of it. And I think as you get towards the end of your teenage years, I think it's like you get into your freedom zone of this is me, this is my life. You're now going, I want this. And I think it was having him, he is going, yeah, yeah. I, I know what's important to me. Whereas maybe seven-year-old him wouldn't have cared about a single thing. And it's, so it's quite interesting, that difference of, and, and I see it with my children growing up, that, my oldest is now 17 and she start getting that I want, I'm doing, I'm going. Yes. It's about seeing the future, isn't it? I think they, t- I think up until 16, uh, children are very much about the present, you know, present or the next couple of weeks, etc. But when they are after yep. 16 is when they can see into the future as in 10 years time. So suddenly that, you know, the, if I don't do this now, I'm going to really struggle then. But you can't ask a seven-year-old, or you can, but it's tricky, to ask a seven-year-old to do their 10 squats because when you're 21, you may get pain. Like that, It's just not going to mean anything to them. No. No. It's like trying to get your children to revise for their GCSEs. Yeah, exactly. It's not until five years' time they're trying to yeah. get a job. They're going, yeah. oh. Yeah. 
It is. It's you kind of kids need that immediate pain. If you don't do this, this will happen. It's, and the longer term consequences are so far away when you're a child. Exactly. I mean, it's hard for us to think about our old age and what we should do now for us, let alone when you're seven. I turned 40, I got a frozen shoulder, yeah. I twisted my ankle, I had my meniscus tear. I'm literally going, I'm falling apart, I'm so old. And I go, I'm 40. <laughs> no, I'm old. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Right, so we've done a lot of physical. Yeah. And you mentioned sensory. Yes. So let's move on to the sensory side. Oh, and this, yeah. for lots of children, are going to overlap, but we have yep. talked about the physical side. Let's talk about more about the sensory. So I love sensory. As a physio, we don't really do sensory, but I did a sensory course. Oh. God, about 15 years ago, and it blew my mind. And what it's made me realize is that actually pretty much every child I come across, physical or mobile, has a sensory issue. And it's so sensory, we've got the normal senses that we all kind of know about, sight, smell, taste, hearing, and touch. But then there are the three others. So your introspection, oh, sorry, introspection, which is what you feel inside. So I feel hungry, I feel angry. I feel like I need the loo. Those, that's all senses. And then you have your proprioceptive sense, which is basically your sense of where your body is in space. So I'm sitting here moving my arms with my eyes shut, and I know exactly where my arms are. I know that I can touch my hands together without looking at them. I know when I'm walking down a corridor that I'm not going to bump into something. I know that I can yep. talk to someone or I can carry something and I don't have to be looking at my feet as I'm walking. So your proprioceptive sense is basically your safety sense of, of your body. I know, I know where my body is. It also helps us to move and to learn how to move. So you don't, you don't swing a bat by going, right, bend your elbow 20 degrees, bend your wrist 15 degrees. You swing a bat by the feel of it and the feel of where your body is. So your proprioceptive sense is a massive one. And then the other one is your vestibular sense, which is your movement sense so it basically tells you where your eyes are in regards to the horizon so I know if I'm spinning I know if I'm going backwards or forwards or round or down etc and most of us or all of us will have a variation in our senses and we will feel things more or less than anyone else around us so for example I my proprioceptive sense isn't great so I do bump into things. I, I, can't, I can't feel my fingers as well as other people do potentially. So my handwriting is absolutely appalling. So, I, so whereas I have you know, pretty good touch, so I'm endlessly trying to touch things. I love the feel of things. That's a really strong thing for me. I, really, I, I find the feel of things really important. If I go into a shop, I'm not really looking, I'm touching. So we all have different senses and your senses rule how you live your life. So because my proprioception isn't brilliant, I love anything which gives me input into my proprioceptive sense. So I, I love hugs. Like I'm a massive hugger. I've got, you know, I chose my puppy because she is a Velcro dog who wants to be on my lap all the time because that kind of gives me that squash, that squeeze that tells me where I am. I love a heavy blanket i love a heavy duvet etc so we choose the things in our life that suit our sensory needs so if you're and and that is everyone is doing that whether you realize it or not absolutely your holidays you choose for example so i'm my, my vestibular is also i really love movement so when i go on holiday i need to be surfing climbing walking up mountains doing loads of activities getting lots of sensory input if you put me on a beach for a week, I will get a bit down. I'll get really tired. I'll feel completely despondent. I won't want to do things. I'll get low motivation. I won't be able to remember what I've done one day to the next. It just doesn't suit my sensory profile. So we all choose what works for us. And none of it is good or bad. Like We just all have a different sensory makeup. We're just different. But for our children, disabled children, pretty much all of them will have something that is out of the kind of regular boundaries of, of what we consider normal sensory processing. So either they are feeling too much, yes. so they're hypersensitive, or they're not feeling enough. So, for example, it's our children who 
Exactly. So, so if, for example, our children with a lot of children are hypersensitive in their ears. It's described really well to me by an 18 year old autistic girl who said that when she went into the classroom and there were 30 children talking, it sounded like there were 30 televisions on, all of them at full blast, and she could hear every single word. So it just filled her brain with all this information, was totally overwhelming. And then the teacher would ask her to do something. And that's just one thing too much. And she would either shut down or would have to leave the room. And that, you know, if you've got that all the time, if you're walking down the road and you can hear every single bit of noise, then it can just make, there's just no room in your brain for anything else. So the, the behaviors, the behaviors that we sometimes see, a lot of them are in response to these senses, the, the, you know, over, over feeling things, the other side. And it doesn't mean if you're hypersensitive in one place, again, it doesn't mean you're hypersensitive with your other senses. You may be hyposensitive with your touch, but hypersensitive with your sight, for example. And then the other side is your hyposensitive. So this I see a lot with my physical children. So if if you have never been very active yourself, so if you're a full-time wheelchair user, potentially have never rolled, when in your life is the side of your body, has the side of your body ever been stimulated? If you've never lain on your side, if you're always on your back in bed or in a wheelchair, which is down the back of your body, or at a standing frame, which is at the front of your body, when has the side of your body ever been touched? So if you haven't had, you know, children learn from experience. And as babies, we, you know, we touch our feet, we touch our bodies, we're hitting ourselves in different places with our toys, etc. We're learning about our bodies, which is what our proprioceptive sense is being developed. And if you haven't had that, it may be that you just don't feel that. So it can be like when you fall asleep on your arm and your arm goes completely numb and you end up hitting yourself in your face because you can't feel your arm, that it can have that kind of feeling. So these children that we're trying to help to stand or help to sit or help to walk, et cetera, if they're not feeling their bodies properly, then how are they going to learn it? How are they going to feel what they should be doing? So again, you can have that mix of hypersensitive, these children who aren't feeling the world, it may be that they're hypersensitive in their hands, that they're tactile sensitive. They don't want to touch anything because, you know, the touch of a teddy bear could actually feel like pain to them. Yep. So the sensory side is massive with, with children with all kinds of different disabilities. However, the great thing is, is that stimulating some of these senses, especially your proprioceptive sense and your vestibular sense, can calm all the other ones down. So they can either make you more kind of wake you up. So for the hyposensitive children, for the children who aren't feeling enough, they can wake up your body, for example, or it can calm down the hypersensitivity. So it can mean that you can take off your ear defenders. So vestibular and proprioception are basically exercise. That is what we're doing when we're exercising. We are anything which pulls your joints apart or pushes your joints together or gives your body deep impact is your proprioceptive sense. Anything that is movement, swinging, rocking, spinning, going upside down, that's your vestibular sense. And that's all exercise. That is what exercise is. This is why, you know, when we do exercise, we get that release of endorphins. We're, we're stimulating these senses that are making all our other senses feel great. So if we can get our children doing the right kind of exercise, then it can actually really help with their concentration, with their cognitive function, with communication, social interaction, you know, all these great things that are, that can be a struggle. Suddenly you're solving it through actually what is play, what is, you know, fun. So it it kind of ticks all those boxes. It's just not necessarily brilliantly known about in society. Yep. I think there, there is my, my friend, he, he's, he's, I find it kind of, literally he'll tell me stuff. I'm going, no, I've got no idea what you're on about. He goes, oh, you know, when you go to the gym and then you don't go for a couple of days, how do you <laughs> feel? And I'm going, no. Yes. But he feels more lethargic and he finds yep. at work, he can't concentrate. Yep. That's thing, it kind of, it, it helps you regulate, I would say. But then I'm the person who I don't drink coffee <laughs> and I have no idea what a caffeine rush, even though I used to drink lots of vodka and Red Bull, it had no impact <laughs> yep. on me. So, but he obviously is, he's more sensitive to feeling yep. that change within him, that he's more lethargic today. He's not on his top form when he's making his decisions and he's not doing this yep. and he gets home and he's tired and he's a bit grumpier. 
Yeah. When he goes to the gym, he isn't that. And that is, as you said, that's that vestibular, that proprioceptive. And there's always these health freaks who literally have the most amount of energy. And they're jogging past you going, it's 9 yep. p.m. <laughs> I'm on a sofa. I have been on the sofa for the last two hours. What are you doing? Yeah. And they're just bouncing around really full of energy and going, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. I'm going, <laughs> no, the sofa is calling. And it is, it's, it's, it's those things. But it also, by having that energy, you are going to be more regulated. I don't know yep. what the reason is, yeah. but you are. Yeah, it's, it's all about the sensory systems. And there are, so for example, the child that we were talking about who doesn't want to play football, the autistic child doesn't want to play football. Actually, football doesn't have that much proprioceptive input, doesn't have that much vestibular. You're kind of on, a, on one level. You're not going upside down or swinging or spinning and you're not yeah. getting deep impact. Running is, is good because every time you jump up and hit the floor, you're pushing your joints together. So you are getting some proprioception, but it's not a massive rush of it. Whereas something like boxing, for example, or hanging from mon- monkey bars where your whole weight is like pulling all those joints apart, or what other really great things are there? Things like rowing, where you're getting all that pressure against the, the, the oars, which are helping to push your joints together, or gymnastics, where you're really stretching at the end of range and you're getting lots of impact on your joint. You know, that kind of exercise could be the thing that really helps with schoolwork, that helps with calming at home, et cetera. So the right, it's really important. It's the right kind of exercise, not just, it's not just exercise. It's the right kind of exercise. And again, what, what, as we were saying, children generally will choose the thing that's good for them. So if they have the opportunities to try some of these things out, then that's when they go, oh, you know what, we have just had the most incredible evening as a family where we've all sat at a table, the two siblings are playing with each other really well, and then my child's gone to sleep. What on earth, how has this happened? And then you go back and go, oh, well, they did do that tester session of boxing at school or whatever it is. And then, and from that, you kind of learn, well, maybe my child needs that heavy impact work to to regulate, to actually help everything else. So yet the the it unfortunately it's not that it's not done that much in the nhs the sensory side but learning about sensory can make such a phenomenal difference to your child's life definitely i've I've done podcasts with like joanna grace who does loads on sensory and she told me there's a lot more than eight senses which i always find when someone tells you how many (laughs) senses there are i'm going well which ones are you going to go for and generally, you could say, oh, that fits under there or that one's over there. But it's, yeah. it is, there are so many senses, but we know the ones. And the ones you've given are generally yeah. the eight yeah. we all think about. But I said, but she's like, there's a sense of time. Ooh, I didn't know that. Go, time is a sense. You know how some people just know how long. Yeah, amazing. And, and it was my, my daughter, and she said this. I went, oh, sense of time. She went, no, that's a real thing. I went, oh it's when i'm on a flight with my daughter and she says how long is a flight and i'm going eight hours then an hour later she goes right how long left i'm going (laughs) well seven hours she's right are we there yet no we still got six and and realizing she she doesn't understand time so what i've learned to do with her is i say how long is a flight yeah yeah four films (laughs) she'll go oh my god yes you've got the length of time so that, and she can't, in herself, she doesn't feel it that's and things amazing. like that. And I'm going, wow, that's a sense. But yeah, there's loads of senses, but a lot of them can yeah. fit into that yeah. knowing who, where you are and things like that. And there's a whole thing of, if I go anywhere and I park the car yeah. and we can walk meandering route around a town, I will tell you the way back to the car. Yeah. Now that might be in that proprioceptive where I am in space type thing. It might be in there or it's another, I don't know. My wife, yeah. complete opposite. Yeah, I can't. I, I go into the pub toilets and i can't find my way out and then i can't find where we were sitting i yeah i uh, absolutely terrible <laughs> no i i literally i have an inbuilt gps if we go around in the woods and they go which way are you going it's that way back to that's the amazing. car park and they're like, how that's do amazing. you know it's like i don't know yeah, that's amazing it's just in me it's just in but it, it is amazing and it is and one thing with sports yeah. i'm going to go back to that sports is in schools yeah. you have your typical sports New. and they might not work for your children yeah. A lot of them are team <laughs> sports. And no. They're not always the most interesting. They might tick, yep. they might float your boat and you love yep. it, but they might not. But it's important to realize there are lots of other sports 
Yeah, and it doesn't have to be sport, just activity, just movement. And you could say things like archery. Well, that's not really a sport. They're literally standing still and moving their arms. There is. But there's a load of skill, balance. there's that regulation, yeah. there's balance. Yep. But it also gives you a sense of achievement, which is yep. another part comes into this. So there are lots of sports. And what's really nice is in most places around the country, yep. there are lots of sports going on, more than you realise. So I, my daughter, as I mentioned archery, my daughter tried archery. And I found out quite, lo- quite yeah. local, there are three different archery clubs. And they yeah. use the sports hall and have targets and they have it all. And I'm going, yeah, I have no idea they did archery in here. Yeah. And you can go along yeah. for taster sessions. Yeah. So it's really good that there's all these different sports. And just yeah. because your child doesn't like football no. doesn't mean they don't like sport. They just, it might be they were yeah. always stuck in the defence or, they, or they, just, they, they might be more of an individual sport person. Or they might be, it's, it's trying different sports. Yep. Is yeah, and just any, any kind of movement, like going for a vigorous walk up a hill is exercise. Like it doesn't have to be with rules. It doesn't have to be in a team. It's just keeping movement, keeping moving, which is just, and doing it from a young age and, so it becomes ingrained rather than trying to pick it up when you're 30. <laughs> over lockdown, we just basically made our daughters go for a walk every day. We went as a family. They hated it. So basically what we'd got is we basically bought, we gave them headphones. We'd go for a walk with your headphones on. And now my daughter will walk for two hours a day listening to music. And that's the thing is sometimes going for a walk on your own is what is, but if you stick music on, you can, it's an escape and you kind of forget that you're walking. Yeah. You're listening to the music and you're going and going and going. So sometimes it's thinking about, yes, so we, I'm getting my excess, but am I being yep. stimulated at the same time? So adding things like music or podcasts or things like that, or even, so my other daughter who hated, hates walking and she'll always, she always used to moan. We'd park in a car somewhere. We're going to walk around this lake. Moan, 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 moan. Start the conversation. The conversation starts going. She's enjoying the conversation. Three laps later, we get back to the car and she's really, she's really happy. She doesn't remember we had the whole conversation the next time we go for a walk. That never happens. Yeah. There's always that fighting again. But yeah. it is, it's that conversation, being interested in them, talking about something you've yeah. done, but making a good conversation distracts them from that boring I, exercise. I couldn't agree more. I, I, I hate walking on the flat. I am not a city walker. I just get so bored, but I'm a total trekker. Put me on a hill and I love it because I need that proprioceptive input. I need my body to feel like it's working. I don't necessarily need to sweat. Like I don't need to do cardio, but I need to feel my muscles working hard because that's the proprioception thing. So two completely identical bits of exercise. One I hate, can't stand. I'll drive rather than walk for five minutes away. Whereas I'll go for a two-hour trek up a big hill and love it. So, yeah, it's finding it's, – it's really, it's really difficult as a parent because there are so many options to try, especially if you've got a parent with – if you've got a child with extra needs. But it's just so important to start that young so that they love it and have all the physical benefits – physical benefits – but have all the sensory benefits as well. But also your child can't tell you that they hate walking in the city, but they love walking up a hill because they no. haven't learned that about themselves, no, exactly. which makes it really hard that you are, you're, I always say something, you are playing the inspector, you're inspector Cluedo, using all those clues and going, okay, so they like it, but only in this situation. And we wanted to go with walk with the kids and we basically sit there and go, well, they don't want to walk with us. And actually the important part is not walking with us. The important part is they're walking so we'll suck it up that they don't like us it's not that it's just yeah they've learned actually i can listen to music which i really like what's interesting my daughter listens to the same music i do so poor thing so that's but it is she now enjoys those walks which means she now has yeah a healthy routine and she's walking around woods so she's getting that balance it's not walking around the street she walks around the local woods and things like that so and she sees animals, so she's looking. It's interesting. It's great. Brilliant. That is, yeah, genius. And it is really, especially if you've got a child with physical needs, 
you you know people will potentially think they can't exercise whereas exercise for them may be being in different positions so it may be coming out of the wheelchair and being on a trampoline even if they're lying down and because a trampoline is wobbly their little muscles are having to adjust to the fact that the, the trampoline is wobbling around or it may be being in a swing like a, a good supportive swing their body's in a different position than it's normally their whole kind of senses are having a feeling different things as they're swinging or being in a hammock or you know being in a supportive bike or just not being in their wheelchair basically to give all the different experiences that that you need for development basically and if you go if you go back to that line on the trampoline it isn't you go right you lie on the sand trampoline and feel this and you move around and then you go right we've bored of this i'm bored of your body yeah is you could literally go you lie on the trampoline and i'll read you a book we'll read book together that's the thing it is they're doing something but the other part yeah. of their brain is going oh yeah, yeah without it's moving. Thinking about it. i've got yeah. to adjust always oh, doing this i'm doing that without thinking about it and you want to almost keep them on that trampoline without there's a whole, probably a whole thing about how long is good but you want to probably keep them on there for quite a while so they learn it and it's not like yeah. a five minute slot once a week it's two hours over a weekend that they're lying on there and they're getting more used to it exactly and it might be that you're, you're you're changing position and they're just bouncing around as you are yeah but they're actually waiting for you to read the next page while you move or you're just grabbing a drink but it is it doesn't less as you go back to it. It's not about doing this exercise where you need to be on a trampoline for the next 10 minutes and going, yeah, time's up. It's be on a trampoline, but make it yeah. interesting. Yeah. Make it fun. Walking around. If a child's lying on their back, if you walk around them, the child is having to wibble wobble at all those different angles. I mean, bouncing, bouncing is just fun, isn't it? And a lot of our kids yes. won't have necessarily bounced. We had a 46 year old who came to our center and got on a trampoline for the first time. A lady with PMLD, uh, very severe physical and learning difficulties, and bounced for the first time, was in hysterics for like the 10 minutes that she was being bounced. It's just, yeah, it's a joy. Yeah. It's a great feeling. It really is. And that thing is, I always love to go on it, and the kids get on it going, well, I'm a bit bigger than you, oh. and I've read about injuries and legs, so I'm going to get off, which is not fair. But it, it, it's always about, and I think we caught up and we've got to do this, which kind of makes us forget about trying to make it fun. Yeah. God, it has to be fun. It has to be play. Children, play is play is, is how children learn. Play is their is their school is their education until they start. You know, until they're older and they stop playing. Play is how you develop your communication, your you know your fine motor skills, your finger hand skills, your your movement skills. All of these things are through play. They don't, you don't get any child at two years old who's going to do squats to get strong. No. But they, they will be you know, jumping off a, a sofa or you know, climbing on things. And that's play, but actually it is exercise. And so if you've got a child who's developing later, it may be that they need that play at 15. That's what they need to be doing to actually get their exercise. It may be they need to be you know, on climbing frames, etc. I mean, age appropriate, obviously. But again, this is a this is. A, hey, yeah, I still so go on climbing frames. So do I when no one's looking. Actually, when people are looking. But yes, yes. So trying to trying to. I mean, this the, the frustration is that all of this is all well and good if you can find something that's inclusive for your child. But there are so many options, and I know you know I hear it all the time, and I see it all the time with physio is that one person will find something brilliant, and no one else will have heard about it. Yeah, it is. It is lots, and I think it is. It's just remembering, make it interesting so it is playful. And also, it might not be what you – that's the thing is, it might not be what I want. It might be what they want, yes. which is quite hard because you seem to have lots of fun together until a certain age, and they develop their own things, which might not be what you want. And it, it takes you a while to – and sometimes it is. You've got to do what they want. Absolutely. It is. And it is. It might just be actually – Tell me about, teach me about Minecraft. Why are we lying on the trampoline? Yeah. Tell me what you're doing in Minecraft. Absolutely. Teach me because I've got no and then idea. It's just, yeah, it's repetition. It's just, you know, we learn our new skills by repeating something. You don't, you know, as adults, when we're advised we should go to the gym, you don't go to the gym once and think that that's done. You have to go regularly, unfortunately, or fortunately for some people. To get any of that benefit, you have to do it regularly. So if 
children are doing exercise, it needs to be on a regular basis so that their muscles are growing, their, their bones are growing, but, but actually the skills that they're learning are being developed. I think you have to do a skill about a thousand times before it actually becomes completely automatic so that you don't have to think about it. So, you know, yes. an ice skater, when you first get on the ice, don't know if you've had a go, <laughs> you first get on the ice and you're all over the place and you're having to hold onto the side because you're going to fall over. And then after doing it for a bit, you start going, okay, I may be able to just kind of try and slide forward a bit. And then once you've been sliding forward for a few goes, then you think, oh, I could just try and make longer strides. I may just try and lift one foot up. And you're kind of building on these blocks. And just because you're practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing, these very basic skills are becoming automatic so that you can then work on the harder skills. But you have to practice over and over and over and over to yes. make possible and i think sometimes you may have to draw their attention to how far they've come yeah lovely. or with my daughter i think she didn't go for a walk and she she's went oh and she goes amazing. i need to go for a walk yes <laughs> and it's like this and it is it's a lifelong now she has a lifelong habit yeah amazing she knows oh i'm feeling i need to go for a walk and she gets it whereas i didn't do that as a child we really didn't do much exercise. It was our my exercise was PE at school. And it was like, job done, that's it done for the week. So we didn't have this. And I know that's really unhealthy. So we've we've tried hard, although it isn't in my instinct, to go for these walks. And I would always my head goes jump in the car. I I I, I when it's dry, I walk to work. It's 45 minutes or it's a 10-minute drive. But I'm going, well, let's listen to music. I can listen to more music. And I have to psych talk myself into it. It's not built in, but hopefully with my daughters, it is built in. And like it is all the research says if you can start it as a child, then it becomes automatic. It becomes something that you, you do without having to make yourself do it. And hopefully they will recognize that benefit and they will that's the thing you want them to realize is uh yeah, I need this. And that, like if you get a child autistic child or a child who doesn't want to do the PE or doesn't enjoy the PE type things that you do at school if they find something that they enjoy it probably is good for them in a sensory sense uh, and actually they'll want to keep or they should want to keep doing it and if they've stopped wanting to do that then that's not the end of the world find the next thing that gives them something similar yep so if they've tried if it's like heavy work that they enjoy if it's you know doing pull-ups or doing you know, gymnastics or something that's really hard work that then then look at that kind of thing again if it helps if that kind of thing helps then it may be a different sport different activity but in that kind of genre if it is the acrobatics if it is the yeah. the being upside down kind of thing it, it may be that something like you know they've started off doing gymnastics and they've grown out of that whatever it may be that something like surfing actually is their thing because that will flip them upside down they will be all over the place in the water. So working out what their sensory need is, what what is making you have these lovely evenings where everyone's calm and happy or they're helping to to concentrate. Maybe trampolining, it maybe that you know they've had an amazing time in a trampoline park, have this incredible evening. Well maybe it's a trampette that they take into school and at the break time they have five minutes on the trampette and that gives them what they need sensory wise, exercise and sensory wise, so that they can then concentrate in their lessons. So yes, it is, as you said, it's being a detective <laughs> and going, actually, what is it? This, you know, there's it something is. that's happened today or this week that has changed things, that's made things easier for my child or they're happier or they're concentrating better, et cetera. What, what could it be, especially on the kind of physical exercise, proprioception, vestibular side, what could it be that could have helped that? Can we put that in other parts of the life? I don't know if there's been a video which has been around for probably about last month of a it's like a ride at a fun fair and it's like you can control it yourself. And yeah. there's this video of this person just spinning. Just literally, as soon as they get on it, they are literally yeah. kind of spinning sideways and rotating. As this thing goes around, they're literally, you're watching it. Everyone else is going, oh, I'm going left a bit. I'm going right a bit. And this is just one thing, just spinning and spinning and spinning. If the whole thing, and that person gets off and gets back on again. Yeah. They are autistic yeah. and they are that sensory seeking. They love that feeling. So that's what they do. So they need a spinny chair at home. They need to come home from wherever they are, sit in a spinning chair, spin, 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 give themselves what they need. Yeah. And it just if it, it, it helps. It makes them regulated. It gives them what they're input, they're seeking, and they'll be 
So it is, it is, don't just look at football or rugby or cricket or this. Cricket is probably the worst sport if you, because it's not, there's not much going on. It's quite an intellectual thing, but generally there's no, you want something which might be competitive. It might be they're competing against someone, but it might be the physical bit. It might be the sensory. It's, yeah. it's, there's something yeah. they need yeah. to get from that sport or activity. So I've really enjoyed talking about this. So thank you for coming on the show today. Pleasure, my pleasure. You've given me a couple of links to do with proprioception, sensory integration, something called high tone, which I haven't had a chance to go look at, which is a YouTube video. That's the, the tightness, the tightness from the cerebral palsy. Ah, So a load of stuff along with a link to your resources hub on the Gympansies website. So you'll find all of those in the show notes, as well as how to get more information from chimpanzees and their social medias. And as I said, you'll find the show notes on our website, www.thesendcast.com, or wherever you listen to the podcast. So thank you for listening to the show. Please share the podcast with everyone you know. We are on various social media platforms as The Sendcast, so tag us and let everyone know about the podcast. And if you are struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, or you just want to see what is available, have a look at the B-Squared website or book a free online meeting with me so I can take you through our products. We have a range of assessment products to help all schools show small steps of progress pupils SCND. If you are a school in England and still confused by the engagement model, not sure about the pre-key stage standards or anything else around assessment, get in contact. You can find about our online training, our support, our CPD. You can read our blog. You can watch our webinars. It's all on the B-Squared website. And you'll find a link to the website to book a meeting with me in the show notes. And you'll also find my email address. so You can drop me an email. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Bye, everyone. <laughs>